Hello and welcome to the Veterans Journey Season 2. I'm Jamie O'Hare, your host, and with me as always is Will Simmons. How are you, Will? Good, Jamie. Excellent. Good to see you again. And Will, why don't you introduce our guest today? we got Greg with us today. Can you give a little bit of an intro of Greg? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jamie. I'm uh, really excited for this week's guest. Um, he's a colleague and become a good friend. Uh, Greg Hanneman, retired military engineer from the Canadian Armed Forces, who has a wealth of experience in counterinsurgency. Now he's transferring those skills into the InfoSec world to help companies defend them against threats, specifically in the cyber domain. Uh, Greg, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, good. Long time listener. First time viewer. Really excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're glad to have you on here too, Greg. Um, as we kick off, why don't you uh, tell us uh, why you joined the Canadian Armed Forces, a uh, little bit about your background, where you grew up in Canada. Sure, sure. So uh, when I was young, like, when you go through school, what do you want to be when you grow up and all that? And I always said either the Army or the police officer. I always had one of those, you know, those high threat jobs. It's always what I wanted to do. So uh, I went to college back in uh, Belleville for Police Foundations, which is the general Army thing. Everyone from the Army has pretty much been in Police Foundations. Anyway, so I went there and I finished up and I tried to join the, any, cop, any cop shop. When you're in your early 20s, no one's going to hire you. So I tried and I was like, get life experience, get life experience. I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I'm joining the Army. Where else are you going to get life experience, right? So I jumped in the Army. Um, at the time, my uh, my roommate, he was a reservist in the combat engineers, and he was talking about all this cool stuff he did in the engineer, like going out there, blowing stuff up, drinking, you know, colluding through the city. It was just an awesome, awesome go, right? So another re recruiter is like, oh, hey, you got police foundations. Do you want to be an MP? I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, I want, I want to be an engineer. I'm like, wait, what? Like, no. No, I want to blow stuff up. So anyways... I had the aptitude for engineering and they, uh, they threw me in and that's how I ended up in engineers. So I, uh, I got posted to two CER. And the funny thing is when I joined the Army, you know, you joined the Army to see the Royal, right? So I was born and raised in Pembroke. Now, for those that don't know where Pembroke is, it's like five minutes from Petawawa. So I joined the Army to see the Royal and I got posted five minutes from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you see the It's horrible. <laughs> it's not what I wanted. So yeah, that's, uh, that's generally how I joined the Army. That's amazing, Greg. That's that's hilarious. So can you talk to us a little bit about some of your deployment experiences, uh, a little bit of your, your history there? So my first deployment, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2008. Uh, it's a quick reaction force. Uh, what quick reaction force is, for layman's terms, it's someone whose whole job is to solve problems. So if there's a firefight, you get deployed to stop the firefight. Uh, if there is, so we call them ticks, troops of conduct. Uh, if there is an uh, IED, you go there to deal with the IED. If there, the IED went off, um, if sorry. If the, the bomb went off, we go there to do the post blast and stuff like that. So my first tour there, I was just a lowly private. Um, so I was there as essentially bullet sponge is what I called myself. Just some dude, you know, rifleman number three. Uh, we worked really exclusively with the uh, explosive team there because they are also attached. So we worked exclusively as part of their inner cordon. Uh, so when, like we go to the inner cordon of vehicles, they'll kind of be up and then we'll use that common ground as like our workspace. So I got a really big hands on in the EOD and I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I came back in uh, 2009 and uh, I walked into the office. I was still private this time. I walked into the office and his name is Adam Taylor. Love the dude. Awesome guy to work for. He hands me a manila folder. He's like, go over to the 25 squadron, 25 support squadron and hand this to uh, Sergeant Derringer. I'm like, all right, cool. So I walk over, make Sergeant Derringer. Oh, there's, there's Private Hanneman, kind of all nervous talking to this dude I've never met before. I'm like, here you go. You know, warrant, uh, 
the warden asked me to bring us here. He's like, oh, hey, welcome to the team. I'm like, what's this? Like, this is your curse file. You're now an EOD. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Okay. So then, yeah. So the uh, the EOD, we call it like the pipeline. It takes about three years and it has about a 25% success rate. Sorry, can I stop you there, Greg? Sorry, yeah. just for those that don't know, what is EOD? Explosive ordnance disposal. So bomb disposal. Thank you. So you stuff you see on the movies, you know, the Hurt Locker, all that great stuff, right? So it has about a three-year pipeline, which is uh, with a very, very, very low success rate. So um, roughly one in four will pass. Uh, so that you start with a Tuesday course, we call it, where you just learn the tools, how to drive the robot, all the fun stuff. And then from there, you go on to your IED, so your improvised explosive device, high threat operator, which is uh, how to cut the red wire, essentially. That one there is where most people fail. And then after you pass that one, that's when the pipeline opens up to everything from forensics to homemade explosives to basic uh, basic and advanced um, like you, you, uh, conventional munitions. So it, your pipeline opens up after you do your onesies, and that's where you find your specialty. So about a year after that, I was then uh, deployed with the uh, the British on one of their training cycles for the uh, advanced high threat search advisor, which is generally a risk assessment program for the Canadian forces that I was in the process of setting up. Um, so it's all about risk mitigation or risk assessment for anything from a hostile negotiation all the way up to a uh, counter IED and um, bomb threat type thing. So I did that for a while. I was the unit's high threat advisor. Um, then we deployed to Ukraine on Roto Zero of Operation Unifier in about 2015, uh, where we were training the Ukrainian special forces to deploy to the counterterrorism organization, which is on the uh, eastern border of Ukraine and Russia. After, this is right after the Crimea, the Crimea engagement. So we deployed there for about six months, training their, uh, their special forces units on counter IED and high threat techniques. That's actually where I realized that I didn't want to be in the army anymore. The, uh, the way the army was going was not what I enjoyed. Uh, we went from the operations to completely mentoring and training from a... So after that, I came back and I released from the military. Um, I released and then one of my contacts that I trained with sent me an email saying, hey man, you know, the United Nations is looking for high threat advisors. You want to come over and play in Africa? I'm like, yep. <laughs> I was like, why not? So they reached out. So I reached out to their uh, recruiter and we had a chat. Um, so I left the military on December 15th, 2016. And I was in Africa, West Africa and Mali on Boxing Day. So it was literally pretty much flashed a bag with like a week with my family before I deployed as a contractor. Can you talk about your time over there? Like what you oh, were doing yeah. as a contractor? Actually, you know what? I, I, I want you to tell what what what's the adage you said to me when I said when I asked you there was one time when I was talking about the IEDs and I said um, you must get asked all the time or you're not scared and you 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 answered with I don't have to be I only have to be wrong. Go ahead. Yeah, you don't have to be wrong once, and then it's not your problem anymore. <laughs> right? Because it. Like, uh, I know when I was in the military, so, we have a... Okay, okay let's say that again. Let's say that again, just so... Because, okay. So, <laughs> if you're only... So, you could be right 100 times. It continues to be your problem. It continues to be your your yeah. issue. If you're wrong once, no big deal. It's not your problem anymore. Not your problem anymore. It's someone else's problem. <laughs> and that's the mentality you need to disable IT bombs, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Like, you know, it's not my problem anymore. But 
I remember there we have a unit in the Canadian Forces. They're the uh, the bio like the biochemical unit, and I remember uh, I found like joining them. I'm like, you know what? If you're wrong, then it's still your problem. You're not going to die right away. It's not the end of you because now you have this poisonous gas that is everywhere. I'm like, oh wow, that sucks. <laughs> At least with an IED, when you're wrong, it's well, this is not a good run. So let me ask you this question. How long did you, you, you talked about 25% success rate within the training yeah. from start to finish and I, understanding that the, that the training never stops, yeah. but until you become deployed and you disable your first IED in the field, yeah. what, what was the timeline from you going, handing that manila envelope over going, okay, I guess I'm here now to snipping that red wire. About six years. So six years. So the yes. same amount of time it takes takes somebody to get a master's. Yeah, right. To, right, roughly. So during the Afghan era, like when we were pumping people out, you could probably do it in about two to three years. That's when they were condensing the training and we needed people. But once the Afghan era ended, the high threat risk was non-existent. We had more time to focus on sure. special education and focus on your skills. Sure. That is absolutely wild to me that you can take somebody that had I, i'm going to make an assumption here and maybe don't correct me that has never played with bombs beforehand <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah so like so in the canadian forces there is a couple trades that can become ied it's not just engineer specific so you have, you have engineers then you have ammo techs the ammo techs are the pretty much they've never really deployed high threat so they're the ones who do focus heavily on the training they're the ones who focus domestically that's their bag uh, then you have the uh, Air Force Air Weapon Systems. Those guys deploy as IED as well. Uh, they're the ones who put the bombs on the planes and stuff like that. So they have a rough idea of how it's supposed to work. And finally, you have clearance divers. Clearance divers, they're, they're the ones that go from zero to hero. Like they have zero experience that all of a sudden they start the pipeline. And then within like three to six years, they're diffusing bombs over overseas. Greg, uh, what was it like working with the United Nations compared to the CAF? So I found that the United Nations, because a lot, all my coworkers were crusty old, like ex-SAS dudes and all that. <laughs> so it was, it was like working with the military. Like, so all this stuff that I really enjoyed with the military, like, you know, like the, the mess dinners, the drinking, the, you know, the fun, yeah. that was still there, right? So like what I enjoyed, so in, like when I was in Afghanistan, my first tour, I lost my best friend, right? And that, that one hit hard. But what we did worse is, so he he was killed on the convoy, and then I still had to complete the mission for like two days without any any type of closure whatsoever, right? That's tough, man. Yeah, that one, that one, that one wasn't fun. That's, that's why I saw it shrink for years. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right? So that then when I was in Africa, my first or second week in Africa, I was lying on my couch, kind of hungover, because once again, drinking with a bunch of British people, right? And my boxers. All of a sudden, the power went out, the windows broke, and then I heard the explosion. All right, it was it was that big. So I remember I yelled at my team leader. His name is Colin. He was this big Scottish dude. He actually he owns a bar down in Costa del Sol, Spain now, and that's where he does just sling liquor. Anyways, so I yelled at Colin, like, Colin, Colin. He's like, "What? Like, do I gotta put my pants on?" <laughs> yeah, put your pants on. I'm like, all right. So I go, I grab my pants, I put my pants on, I grab my armor, I grab my gear. And then he's like, yes, you're, so I was uh, the forensic dude for the team, right? So I grab my gear and I jump in, I jump in like a 1996 Toyota 4Runner, 
right? And I'm driving through Africa by myself, big along, right? Trying to try to get on the camp. So I get on the camp, and the camp is shut down. And at that point, there I was uh, I was working with a Cambodian EOD team. So eventually, I convinced the uh, the chatty and security guard to let me into the camp after he tried to shoot me. Like he was like, "No, no!" Pointing his AK at me. I'm like, I just need to get in there. Like it's not that big of a deal, right? So eventually, I get in there, and we get uh, I get my team and we deploy to the site. It was a uh, car bomb that drove into a peace talk. Uh, at that point, there was the uh, largest mass casualty in African history. So it was in Africa, right? I guess what so anyways, we get on site and uh I start I start doing my work. I look back and my EOD team's frozen, my transfer is frozen, because it was just a mess, right? And anyway, so I do my do my call, I do the forensics, I pack up all my paperwork and jump back in my Toyota port, you know, drive back to my camp. And the difference is at that point there, my day was done. And I had a beer, we sat there, we talked about it. There was there was nothing, there was no shame. I didn't, the mission didn't come first at that point, which it was a, a very different feel. Like, you know, the mission was done and there was no other mission. So we could sit there, we drank, we, you know, we joked, we smoked, we laughed, we cried. And I found that because of that, the, the thoughts, like the intrusion thoughts from that are not nearly as prevalent as some of the stuff in the area. Because you were able to just talk about it right, right away. Yeah, no, right away, yeah. You could share Instead what was on your mind. Yeah, like instead of, you know, doing a mission for the next like three right. days yeah. while you, you don't know like which one of your best friends died and stuck in the back because we didn't know. So we were on a convoy and uh, about three vehicles in front of us in an IED and it didn't look that bad, right? And I remember hearing over the radio, it was, uh, what was it? It was a cat, cat B or something like that. I'm like, oh, cat B is fine. And they said it was a T-Lab. So a lab with a track on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't know anyone on T-Lab. It's good. And then when we got closer, I found it, they said E-Lab, so an engineer variant lab. And then they said Cat A, as in he was vital signs absent, right? So I'm like, oh, like shit. So out of the, th- there were three drivers in that team, and two of them were my best friends. I'm like, well, this, this sucks. I probably, the odds are I lost one of my best friends. And I didn't know who it was until I got back to camp. And that so, was later? Yeah, yeah. Was, we had to drive down like one of the worst IED roads in like Afghanistan right after that as well. I'm like, this, this sucks. <laughs> right. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, a couple of, it was a while later we found out who it was and it was, so yeah, that's just stuck in your head when you're on mission, right? What was your thoughts for the next step after that? Didn't have one. Didn't have one. I was, so I found contracting. It's, you have to have a wealth of experience before they even look at you. Mm-hmm. So if you do not even have any high threat, high risk experience, you know, they won't even look at you. They, you need to be able to deploy on your own because it's not like the military. If you make a mistake and you have no top cover, so you need to be the best of the best before they even look at you. So anyways, I uh, no idea. So I was just doing contracts after contracts. It's like a young man's game, but an old man's life type thing. Mm-hmm. So I would just, one of the guys I worked with, this is how far he planned ahead. Every two years, he bought him and his wife matching Audi A8s. And every two years, he bought him and his wife matching Audi A8s. And then he would did the the ones they have, but they go to their two daughters, and then the two daughters would then go to their two husbands. So every two years, they got brand new matching Audis. And that's just how they that's how their the contract lifestyle is. You don't think about what because you don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. Anyways, so what I didn't really have a plan at all is what we're getting at. Um, so eventually what happened was uh, on November 12th, the day Stan Lee died. I remember that because I was sitting there and I was drinking with the United Nations chief ops. 
we were sitting there drinking, you know, all of a sudden our phones just started going crazy. And at that point there, we answered the phone and it turns out that a car bomb hit our compound, destroyed a thousand pounds, drove into our compound, killed all of our security staff. Um, our, like the company that I worked for, the operations manager, he died a few months later from a heart attack, which is weird because he was a clearance diver. So I'm thinking probably something to do with that. He was like younger yeah. than me. Most of our translators also like severely injured and everything like that. So that was November 8th. I came back from Africa on the 27th. And I, my wife and I like, you know what, let's do this. So we sold our life and we moved to Costa Rica. Because why not move to Costa Rica, right? <laughs> you, sold, you sold everything in Canada. You sold your house. Yeah. Once well, bank, everything. You sold it. You're like, just put it in our bank account. We're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so wait a second. You chose Costa Rica over Petawawa and Pembroke? Yeah. Just want to make sure I okay. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Just, yeah. just clarifying so, uh, that for myself. So we did our initial no offense like, to our our friends in Petawawa and Pembroke. <laughs> Petawawa sucks. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Tim Hortons there. It's all right. Yeah, true. So we did our initial recce on uh, like reconnaissance in Costa Rica, like where we wanted it. So we flew in uh, December and we didn't book anything. We booked nothing. We booked a rental car is all we booked. So <laughs> if for reference, we had a four-year-old son <laughs> as well. We landed in December in San Jose, Costa Rica, and uh, we knew we wanted to be on the Pacific side, not the Atlantic side. So we rented a car. We spent our first night in a city outside of uh, San Jose called Heredia, which is I have an estranged uncle that I haven't seen in like 20 years, and I heard that's where he lives. So I just wanted to go there and see if I could track him down. <laughs> Never did. <laughs> right? So anyway, so from there, we, we took off to the Pacific coast, and we um, there was two areas we really liked. There was one area called Haco, and another area called uh, Tamarindo. They're both on the Pacific coast, but they're both in very different areas. So we got to Haco and loved it. It has a KFC, right? Like, how bad can it be without a KFC? So then, so we spent about three days in Hako. We really enjoyed it. Then from there, we drove up to um, Tamarindo, which is up on the northern western, like northwestern part of uh, Costa Rica. And we spent a couple of days there as well. And then we drove back and we spent some time in the mountain because you can't, you got to do it all, right? We want to see where we like. So anyways, we flew back for Christmas, and New Year's, and then in January we flew back and we uh, we started renting a place in Hako. Uh, it was like we were gated community, you know, right across the street from a beach. Like the Pacific Ocean was literally a hundred feet from our front gate. Nice. So we were there, uh, enjoying it, loving it. Then I don't know if Jamie, Jamie might have met her, Catherine Thompson. So Catherine Thompson somehow got a hold of my resume. She's like, You and I need to have a chat. I'm like, No, I'm not having a chat with you. She's like, No, we're having a chat. I'm like, No, that's I'm so you're in in sorry, just interrupt. You're in Costa Rica at this time, yes. Uh, okay, I don't blame you. She's a very nice woman, but she yeah, she's an awesome woman. Like I love Catherine. Like we talk pretty regularly. And uh, anyway, it's, it's like the only way that I am talking is you realize that I every shirt I have does not have sleeves. Nothing I own has sleeves, right? And she's like, fine, fine. So anyway, so Catherine and I talk for like an hour and a half, two hours, and she starts talking to me about red teaming and uh, ethical hacking. <clears throat> She's like, with your counterinsurgency and your background, you have the required soft skills that will make you deadly at this job. It's pretty much the concept we came to. I'm like, yeah, but like pineapples hanging from the, you know, I can go get a pineapple, like fresh pineapple, rip the tree. Why would I want to leave this? <clears throat> so anyways, weirdly enough, that day or close to that day, 
I get an email from Veterans Affairs, and they approved me for the um, yes. <laughs> so they they approved me. Uh, they approved me for the rehabilitation plan, and um, so once I so the rehabilitation plan, people don't know it helps veterans get back on their life. It gives them, it gives not a, not the same money you made in the area, but it gives you a livable wage. Um, it helps you get yourself ahead. It helps you get trained. So I was approved for the Veterans Affairs Rehabilitation Plan. So I applied and all this. So we moved back to Canada. So my wife, she's a psycho, psychotherapist. And she needed to move back to Canada. I saw that look, Jamie. No, no, no. I, I, hey, um, I was thinking more she's a saint following you from Petawawa to everywhere else. So when did you, when did you guys get married? Were you guys uh, married? 2010. So yes, so we, my wife and I, we realized this. So we, we have been together for 15 years this summer. Okay. So she has been with me for a long time through most of my military career, my contracting career and this. So she was with you military career. Then I'm going to Africa. Now we're going to Costa Rica. Nope. I changed my mind. We're heading back to Canada. Yeah. Okay. She is a saint. Continue. She is. She is. So anyway, so she was finishing up her MA while we were down in Costa Rica. And she finishes up her MA and um, she has to do her clinical phase, which is like a one-year clinical phase. So like, you know what? Let's, let's do this. So I reach out to Rima and I sign up for the ethical hacking plan and we come back to Canada. So I was supposed to start in September. Uh, in September at that point there, Willis College had a faculty air and they had known to teach it. So that point there, Catherine then gets me in touch with Tom Moore. So Tom Moore and I talk and he tells me about the program. I think he's making shit up. Like honestly, have you have you heard if, if no one has heard this program, it sounds fake. I got a call from a buddy of mine last night that I haven't talked to in years. He's like, all it says is talk to me about with you with me. So I tell him about it. He's like, yeah, that's fake. I'm like, I know, right? But they've been paying me. So how fake can it really be? So anyways. So Tom tells us about this, this plan. Oh my gosh, fake. So anyways, I start the with you with me plan. And then they come to Canada. And that's where I meet Jamie and Will. We meet them at a conference in, uh, in Ottawa. And we start talking. Um, then that's from there. I do the entire, I do their cybersecurity plan. Um, I read their aptitude score. And it was bad. I don't know if anyone's written their aptitude score. I, I, I bombed it hard. But at that point there, that's when I really started to go down the PTSD train. That's uh, I was diagnosed about that time with uh, severe PTSD, panic disorder, anxiety, and ADHD. I was I had all these diagnoses at me thrown at me. Uh, they threw me on some medication. Uh, I was seeing a social worker three times a week, uh, psychologist and a psychiatrist, none of which were my wife. I never used my wife. Let's get that out there. I had a goal at the end of it. I had a job goal that I wanted. I found that I helped. It really helped get me back on where I needed to be. So yeah, like I found that because that I had a goal. And then, uh, yeah, so I got part of the Willis program. I started that in January. So I was doing the Willis program as well as with you with me. Um, and then a year later, Will started pressuring me to, hey, you gotta come sort your life out. I'm like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to do that. He's like, I have an interview lined up here. I'm not, I'm not going. 
I'm moving, to Colum- I'm moving to Columbia this time. Yeah. You know what, Greg, your, your story is phenomenal. And of course, our, our Veterans Journey Season 2 is brought to you by the CWEP program, the Cyber Workforce Enablement Program, which is EY's exclusive contract with the Government of Canada in partnership with you with me to upskill and place Canadian Armed Forces veterans in skilled IT positions within the public sector. Greg, continue. We reminded you of a story in Colombia, please. So anyway, it's, it's uh, By the I, way, can you start doing me a favor? Come out of your shell a little bit, okay? I'm tired <laughs> of pulling teeth here. Go. <laughs> uh, my wife, my wife is very, she was a very large fan of backpacking. So she's backpacked for most of Central Latin America by herself. So like moving to Costa Rica wasn't really that big of a deal for us. Anyways, so... What I wanted to do was I wanted to go backpacking through Colombia by myself. Oh my God. <laughs> right? Of course you did. So, so I, you know, I had one more, I was going to do one more trip to Africa. So I was supposed to go to Africa in April of 2019. April to April to July was supposed to be my last trip in Africa. And I was going to come back and I was going to backpack through Colombia. But then I come back. It's not as cool a story, sorry, Jamie. I come back from uh, Costa Rica and Veterans Affairs tell me if I deploy again, they're pulling me for my benefits. Like, oh, so then I lost the, the financial bonus of going to Africa. I lost that, so I couldn't backpack through Columbia. But it's still on the wish list. As soon as the world opens up, I'm going to Columbia for like 10 days. This is a backpack. That's it. Anyways, we're worried. So anyways, yeah, so so Will keeps pressuring me. He's like, hey, come work. I'm like, no, come work. No. So he's lined up an interview, and he pretty much guilt me into the interview. So I go to the interview, and uh, it went well. It went very well. And then he's lining me up for more interviews after. I was like, no, I'm taking this job, Will. They're going to hire me. He's like, but what if they don't? I go, they are. <laughs> so anyways, I guess the company gets back to Will. And they're like, yeah, we want him. So I'm like, ah, oh, sweet. Oh, I told gosh. you, Will. No more interviews. I hate interviews. So uh, with me then hires me, and I start working with them. Um, my, clearance, uh, my clearance was an issue. So it took a little longer than usual to get over it. So because of that, I actually, I lost the contract with the company, but with you, with me, then hired me internally. And uh, I took over as the head of onboarding because I'm socially awkward and I don't like to talk. So I started talking. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I was the head of onboarding for about three and a half, four months working with you with with me. And um, yeah, eventually after that last Monday, I was just promoted to the head of cybersecurity for the company. And it's, it's, that's all from being right with the number three bullet sponge to head of cybersecurity for a company uh, in about three years from like zero to hero. And a lot of it, I, I know we said no plugs, but a lot of it is due to the CWEP program. The CWEP program with you, with me, they, they all helped me get my life sorted out. So like, you know, that's, that's everyone, like so Ernst and Young with you, with me, Willis, Jamie, like, William, all you guys, like you guys all forced me to do something that I didn't want to do. And it turns out that I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. That's very kind of you. I just want to say though, like all we can do is provide opportunities and uh, yeah, all we can do is provide opportunities and, and you took advantage of it. So, um, so no worries at all. Um, yeah. So it, it, you know what though? It's interesting though, Greg, because it, you know, one of the things and Will and I have had this conversation, I've had this conversation before, right? It's interesting. When we first started talking, you wanted to be a police officer, right? And so we've had this conversation before whereby veterans complete their their service and following their service, 
most folks who perhaps don't have a don't have a uh, um, a history with the Canadian Armed Forces ask the members, "Hey, are you going to be a cop? You're going to be a security guard, right? right? Because those are the, those are the two things." Now, you went outside of your comfort zone a little bit, but I would argue. You know, you talk about Will and myself and Tom and everybody else kind of pushing you. We met very early, you know, or EY, we developed a CWEP program with, with you, with me. So we have this ability to kind of build a workforce for Government of Canada. But not just that, there's a platform where they leverage the With You, With Me training platform and can go do whatever the heck they want. CWEP is an Ernst & Young op- option for employment. You can use it, you don't have to. It's It's wonderful that way. And it kind of funds the training of these 4,000 plus veterans. One of the things though is I find that veterans don't necessarily understand themselves mm. that they have skill sets and they have attributes that can that can translate to something else themselves. Because when we ask a veteran, we say, tell us about your history. Tell us what you did. All the cool stories that you just told, but nobody ever talks about. One of the first things you said in this was, I was part of a team. We were the problem solvers. That wasn't just, being a bullet sponge that was doing a multitude of things that any organization inside of Canada, public or private would be absolutely thrilled to have as part of their uh, employee base. Oh yeah. Like 100%. I know a lot of people that I talk to, they, they say the same thing. Like I tell them like it's not the hard skills that like we're after, like part of the CWEP program, part of the Ernst and Young program. It's not the hard skills we're after. Those are easily trained. It's the soft skills that you have. It's those soft skills that years and years of training have been forced into you that the companies are after. But yeah, anyone in the world would be one. So when I tell people, hey man, come work here, it's like, oh, I can't sit at a desk. I'm like, you don't need to. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can, you know, you just, you don't need to sit at this fancy desk. It's something that you can get into management, right? Like, it's a management role is perfect. The project manager role for a senior NCO, a non-commissioned officer in the Army, that's perfect for anyone. You never sit at a desk, you don't need a tech background. And Ernst & Young and the CWEP program, you know, they, they offer that ability. Like they can throw you into an actual project manager position and it's perfect, right? Like you don't, you can go from rifleman number three to project manager, like a month and a half, two months. You're not going to be PHP certified or PH, whatever it is, but you're going to be damn good at the job. And, and let's be, let's be very crystal clear, right? The government of Canada, which is CWEP program is pointed to, and the rest of the world there's a massive gap between supply and demand and you know i hate saying that with human beings on the end of it but there's a massive demand in it skills which with you with me trains for and there's a massive gap between that and the supply of people that can fulfill those jobs right there was an industrial revolution we took people out of the farms and put them into factories because that's what was needed right now we have to build a workforce and you're telling me that within two years you can disable an IED bomb hang, hovering over it with, in you, using your words, one mistake is no longer your problem. you tell me <laughs> we can't teach you ones and zeros? Come on. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's a lot of the people I talk to that say, I don't want to do tech. I'm like, well, you, you might like it. I, I didn't. I, I didn't under, like, I, I still struggle with the ones and zeros, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. But, like, it's, oh, I just read that on a brochure somewhere, man. I get that too. <laughs> <laughs> but like on this program, I found out that I do like the ones and zeros. I do like to see how this packet interacts with this packet from across the room. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that I thought I would do. Cause you know, I'm the last five jobs I've had prior to this, I had a gun. While we have you and we have uh, about five minutes left and you've been a great guest and we'll definitely have to bring you on again in the future. 
Um, I just very quickly in about five minutes, do you want to just talk to if you're speaking to somebody leaving the military for the first time? And I'm just building upon a point you just raised of um, because you, Greg, you're actually quite skilled at penetration testing in cyber. And I know you haven't given yourself credit enough for that uh, today on the podcast. So do you want to just explain to someone who's coming from the hard army, combat arms, brand new to tech, what they can expect in uh, cybersecurity, how those skills that they developed um, in, in the military um, uh, translates very well as, as they're expanding in a new career in tech? So as, as you said, I, I was hired as a pen tester, um, ethical hackers when I was hired. In. Um, and a lot of the military training, so what I focused in, uh, like the insurgency aspect, especially during, like, especially, you know, the rifle number three from the Afghan era, that was coin operations, essentially is all we trained for, so counterinsurgency. That was all we trained for. And as a pen tester, you have the mindset, you get forced into the mindset to think like a terrorist. That's your entire bread and butter. If I, if I was a terrorist, how would I do this? So the skills are there to be a bad guy. You have these bad guy skills, right? And moving into pen testing, you have to be able to think like an ethical hacker. You have to be able to think like a, a hacker, like a black hat hacker. And you have to be able to think about their TTTs. How, how would they try to break this network? How would they try to break in? And I found with a military background, that really helped. But that's the pen test side. So if you're moving into the cybersecurity side, a lot of the jobs you're going to be working into is what we call blue team. Blue team are the defensive operations. And they one of the big aspects of defensive operations is defense, defense in depth, which is a big term in the military as well. Uh, so defense in depth is one of the, the large aspects when it comes to blue team. You have to understand if they get through this wall, how we block the next wall and so on and so on and so on. But if anyone from the military wants to reach out to with you, with me, or anyone, these two gentlemen here are perfect aspects to reach out to as well. Um, but networking, if you want to reach out for the networking aspect of like networking a computer, I'm more than happy to talk you through basic terms. I do not have the fancy PhD lingo. I still use like, you know, tomato instead of ketchup, right? Like I, I will use the most basic terms to help you explain it. And that's, that's what I found I needed. That's what With You With Me brought to you is they teach you like an adult, not like you're a scientist. So coming into training, there is a lot of big words, but there is really dumb words to explain what the big words are. <laughs> it, it sounds like it's right up my alley. Uh, great. Well, I can teach you, Jamie. <laughs> oh, I, I really appreciate it. No, listen, you know what? The, the more you talk about it, the more I, you know, I've been working with government uh, for the past 20 years, and I've seen a real shift, especially in the Canadian Armed Forces, from a an HQ perspective, right? We have the arms of the military, Army, Navy, and Air Force. Uh, one would argue that cyber is also uh, so somewhere in there or should be in there as well. And it's certainly the, the, the next frontier, if you will. The reality is a lot of the skill sets that you use in the Canadian Armed Forces are translated, and we're just in a different terrain here, right? And yeah. so... I think that the skill sets that uh, veterans possess um, it can easily be translated into a role that you describe. But more importantly, I think the platform that is within the C weapon with you, with me platform, tests your aptitude and matches you to the right the right uh, role. So that if that's something for you, that's great. But for those listening, if it's not red team, blue team, purple team. And it is something else, whether it's a project manager, cloud, AI, something else from in an IT perspective, 
that will be that will be uncovered and it's such an unbelievable opportunity for veterans but also for canadians because it's helping to move programs that service canadians uh forward at the government of canada level within the departments it's a great opportunity for departments to start exercising their programs and moving them forward in a meaningful and impactful way and what a great way to find meaningful employment for veterans uh whilst helping canadians so um, it's just an unbelievable program. And we say at the top of this, this is not, this is not a plug for the program, but geez, you know, you, you, you made it difficult to, to not go there, well, but I think so before we call, so with you with me as an Australian company and I came super close to the Australians so close, you'll love these. They have actually sent me a pair of Uggs, <laughs> Australian Uggs. And are they ever comfortable? <laughs> I, I think for all of our listeners, we're very happy that this is just audio. <laughs> Listen, Greg, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we've got about a minute left. Um, you gave some great advice at the end. Is there any last minute advice that you would give any veteran transitioning out, whether it's on how to plan, uh, make sure, you, you know, whatever advice you would give uh, A to veterans and then first 30 seconds, last 30 seconds, anybody that's uh, contemplating hiring a veteran, why they should think about that very seriously. So for the veterans, I know that the world can get dark and I know that it can get crappy and you don't know what to do. Reach out to with you with me, reach out to the CUF program for the Canadian forces, reach out to someone there is help. And they can't, you make, you might find that you are awesome at tech and you like it for the people looking to hire vets. Give us a chance. We're really good at what we do. And we're really good at working in high, like high tempo jobs. It doesn't bother us. We don't feel the stress the same as other people. Um, panic doesn't really set in the same. That's great advice, Greg. And listen, I really want to thank you for taking the time, being so open. Uh, this has both been educational as well as entertaining. Uh, I echo what Will said. We're going to have to have you back. Greg, thank you so much. Uh, as Greg mentioned, please feel free to reach out to uh, Will Simmons or Jamie O'Hare or Greg Hanneman on uh, LinkedIn or any of your favorite social media. Uh, happy to connect with you. Our mantra is always helping uh, veterans find meaningful employment post-service whilst helping Canadians in the government of Canada. So thank you so much, Will. Really appreciate it. Greg, thank you so much. Have My a pleasure. great day, everybody. And enjoy the journey. <laughs> you can say it, Jamie, say it, and I'll just edit it in. No, no, I like that. I like how I, I set you, Spike. Have a great day, everybody, and... Enjoy the journey. <laughs> <laughs>